Welcome to another new episode of the Three Bid League podcast, where we revive what, uh, dare I say, is a tradition now. I think three years in a row makes it a true tradition. We're going to do our Christmas gifts pod episode, Christmas gifts, holiday gifts, uh, whatever you, whatever you choose to celebrate. Um, We are going to give a present to each of the 14 A10 teams, give them all something that they need, because you know what? We got no perfect teams, except for Fordham. They still haven't lost yet. They might be perfect this season. And everyone just needs a little boost. So if we could throw on our Santa suits and bring them each something to help them out, uh, we're going to talk about what it is. Matt, happy holidays to you. Um, I think think you're going to start us off today. All right, sounds good, Tyler. You already brought up Fordham, so we can just go ahead and start out giving them their gift and since they haven't even played a game yet you know I I don't have much faith in the Rams but I don't think it's fair to be too harsh on them yet for all we know they might be the 96 Bulls they're undefeated but since I really don't know how to make them better yet given they haven't played I think we need to give them something they should have gotten a long time ago and that is the net from the Barclays Center, because as we all know, Fordham, the defending A-10 tournament champions, but they never got to properly celebrate that on the court because the season just ended so instantly. And I I think that's only fair that we give them the net. I mean, I don't know if they actually made a trophy for the occasion, so we probably can't give them that, but something small for Fordham. At the very least, they should have T-shirts. Yeah. Like if Central Florida's football team can hang a national championship banner because they went undefeated and won a bowl game against a mid top 10 SEC school, I think Fordham at least deserves t-shirts as the unofficial A-10 tournament champion. Yeah. I think there there might be a a banner hanging in the Rose Hill gym. I mean, we haven't gotten a look inside. I I guess the women's team might've played some home games so far, but Maybe they're going to unveil it at the first conference game against GW next week. Yeah, and speaking of the other team that won a game in Brooklyn this year, I'm going to give out a quick gift here to George Mason. You know, it's been a weird season so far. They've they've narrowly escaped against some bad teams. Uh, they lost to a really good Belmont squad. One of the glaring issues for the Patriots so far is they just don't have that much shooting, much like last year. And so my gift to them is for them to finally get to use Luke Hancock's final two seasons there. I don't know if he technically still has eligibility, but he only played two years at George Mason, then left for Louisville. And, of course, the rest was history until the NCAA erased that national championship from the history books. I ass- Luke Hancock, he's probably about 30 now. Um I just assume he can still shoot the hell out of the ball. That's a skill that ages extremely well. And if you put him out there right now, he would start for George Mason without question. It's actually funny you bring up Luke Hancock. I saw him on ESPN about a week ago during a halftime report, and he was like a studio host, although he was doing it from home or his home office or whatever. And I should have tweeted something out because it was kind of funny. He had some Louisville – uh, memorabilia behind him on the wall, but I didn't see any anything that would show he played for George Mason, which was kind of disappointing. But you're right; they, they could definitely use some shooting, and he'd be a good addition to this year's team. He owns right. New York too, because he was lights out in the Big East tournament that season. Yeah, yeah, that whole end of his college career, he was great. Okay. For mine, we'll we'll talk about St. Joe's, who, by the way, I love what they're doing with the Hawk, having him flap the entire game on an Instagram live, because the Hawk mascot, unfortunately, not able to travel, but they're keeping that traditional live. My gift to the Hawks would just be a bye game, because right now on Ken Palm, they have the toughest schedule in the country. They've played Kansas, Villanova, Tennessee, that's three elite squads, and I just can't imagine that a bad team like St. Joe's is getting much out of playing top teams like that. 
And you also look at their their um, opening A10 schedule. They start off with VCU, Rhode Island, Bonaventure, St. Louis, and Davidson. So there's a good chance St. Joe's starts out 0-10. I really hope that doesn't happen because I do think they're better than they were last year. But they're going to have a hard time in these next couple of weeks. So if they could, I would just give St. Joe's a chance to pound some low major at home before we get into conference season, because I think they could use a tune-up game like that. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to get it. Yeah, it would be really nice. Um, I think part of the issue is they they like to play the local teams in Philly, which is something that I really respect. But, of course, they're all at least decent squads. So, really, no one uh, no one's super close that would be an easy buy game, even – like the Patriot League teams in Northeast Pennsylvania are pretty good for low majors. So yeah. it might be, might be tough to get somebody in town. And they did. They had some COVID cancellations too. So when they played Drexel and lost that game, that was their first game in about two weeks. So that was kind of a tough situation. And I'd hate to see another 0-10 Philadelphia team team for the second time in three years but holding my shot now I really don't think St. Joe's is winning of any of these games so we'll see how it goes but it's a tough start to the A-10 season for them we'll see I mean Greg Foster's hurt right now but if he can come back healthy then I I like their offense so much they're gonna they're gonna have some weird games where they surprise people on both ends they're also gonna drop at least one just horrible dud to another basement team Mm mm-hmm so I'll keep it with the color red and give out a gift to the UMass Minutemen. And for them, I want to get them a, a nice, real nice yoga mat. Something that's it's nice and comfy, but also huge because Trey Mitchell and Mark Gasparini are going to have to fit on this thing. And the whole reason why is so that guys can do push-ups in the spacious bench area during games. Because at some point, I think Matt McCall is going to have to start disciplining, disciplining these guys like they're a sixth-grade travel team. UMass's biggest issue is that they're just wildly undisciplined. They miss rotations on defense quite frequently. They got a lot of guys who are trigger-happy, who love to take tough shots. This team's super talented, but they've already lost two bad games so far, home against Bryant and at Northeastern. And I think that He's got to find a new way to get through to his guys, get them to be a little bit more disciplined. So maybe he should consult with Tony Bergeron. He was the head coach of like 10 of their 13 guys in high school. I'm, sh- I'm sure that he knows a way to discipline them. But I, I think the push-ups on the bench be, would be a real effective way. Yeah, I don't know, man. We went from talking up UMass last week after they just destroyed LaSalle on the road, but – they just got the A-10 second epitome of brutality of the season. And we've since had a third with Richmond dropping a home game. But a disappointing start for UMass. They've just been super inconsistent so far. So you might be onto something with that one. Because the talent might be there. But, yeah, the results haven't really shown. Yep. All right. I'm going to talk about kind of a similar, I think, inconsistent team where I think this is one of the most talented teams. But – it doesn't really all fit together. And that's the Rhode Island Rams. And my gift to them is one of those children's toys where there's different shapes and you have to fit them in the right hole. Because right now, I feel like the Rams are trying to put the, the square peg in the round hole. They have a bunch of shooting guards that are all talented, but they don't really have that main distributor yet. And I think David Cox has to show this this toy to his teams, get the round peg in the round hole and just build a more coherent team they need somebody whether it's Fats or Jeremy Shepard somebody's got to start setting up his teammates for better opportunities I still think Fats is a great passer but the problem is they kind of need him to also be the lead score most of the time and right now it just seems like the pieces aren't fitting together. And if they can get that to work, I still think the talents there at Iowa's beaten some good teams this year. But I don't know. They, they didn't look good in the A-10 opener against Davidson. And I think it's just going to be another up and down and consistent season for the Rams. Yeah, in keeping with your analogy, I mean, Fats Russell is a guy who has three or four round pegs in his hand. 
and he just keeps grabbing the square instead. Yeah, it's just it's frustrating to watch Rhode Island because when it clicks in short bursts of games, they look great, and they've got a bunch of guys that can make three-pointers. But at other times, you just see five guys trying to play ISO ball is what it feels like to me. And I don't know. If they could just share, share the ball a little bit more, get a little smoother on offense, I think that could help out. All right. I'll go to my honestly probably most likely to actually happen one, which is VCU. And my gift to them would be just being able to pop Ace Baldwin into a time machine and getting – future like two years from now ace baldwin at this moment this team's really talented they got a lot of role guys that i love but what they really lack right now is a secondary scorer and a secondary creator bones highland's just been awesome this year but i i fear for their sake that smart teams are going to really find a way to cause him trouble and find a way to kind of take him out of games and if that happens i just, i don't see a clear path to vcu being able to really get 70 points in a game. What happens when Travis Ford figures things out against VCU? Uh, Ace Baldwin's just the clear candidate for most likely guy to take a leap up. He's super talented. The numbers just aren't there yet. And, you know, he, he makes a lot of young man's mistakes. So if I, was, if I was helping them out, I would just give them future, like, junior year Ace Baldwin right now. Yeah, that would be huge, and he, he is having a good freshman season. He's one of the A-10 leaders in assists right now, but I do think on a really young freshman and sophomore-oriented team, like if they had a more experienced point guard, that could probably be good to get them through some of those tough games, like against a, a St. Louis, as you said. But I am impressed by him, and I definitely think he's, he's going to end up being one of the top A-10 point guards here in a couple years. All right, let's see. Next on my list, uh, we, we just talked about St. Louis for a second, so I can – I'll give them my gift. And since Travis Ford and his Billikens, they've, they've been good this year, so Santa's going to give them multiple presents. First, a replica of the Lombardi Trophy, since, as we all know, St. Louis won the Super Bowl against NC State. I know a lot of people had fun with that John Rothstein tweet. I'm also going to give Travis Ford a brand new skateboard because I think his broke when he fell down that hill. And to anyone who doesn't get this joke, we're going to be retweeting the video within seconds of St. Louis losing their first conference game. But my real present to the Billikens, and this comes after watching their tough defeat at Minnesota, I'd get them some football pads for their practice because those guys were just nuts in the second half committing fouls. And we all know this is probably definitely the most physical team in the A-10. But, man, they were just go going at it at Minnesota. I know someone tried to take a charge on Hassan French, and it knocked them backwards. He was pretty slow getting up. I just think with how hard the Billikens play, and I've seen videos of them in practice diving for loose balls, you know, they're going at 100% all the time. I just don't want to see them hurt each other in practice. So I think some, some football pads might help with that. Yeah, I, this team has always just been insanely physical. And, uh, you know, I'm really not sure that any of these guys is at risk for getting too many bumps and bruises in practice. Like, they're all tough dudes, Maybe, uh, maybe Gibson Jimerson, who kind of hangs around the three-point line, you don't want him hitting the deck hard. But, God, I, I, I feel like St. Louis might actually have fights in their practices, though. Because I could see Hassan French just putting, like, Yuri Collins on the ground and Collins getting up and wanting to just punch him. <laughs> yeah, you could be right. I mean, I know during that Minnesota game, it, it was a frustrating game to watch, and people were complaining about the fouls on Twitter, but – I don't know, like, it wasn't fun to watch, but I also couldn't help but think, like, all right, these are all fouls. Like, they're just super aggressive on defense, uh, which, I mean, it is what it is. That's what happens sometimes when you do play aggressively on defense. You go for a lot of loose balls. And unfortunately, it didn't work out in the Billikens' favor that night. But, yeah, it was fun to watch, though. And I will say, like, some of their other games, like the NC State game, which we never really talked about much, 
that game was so much fun to watch because it was super physical and the refs swallowed their whistles. So there were not as many fouls called. And I just think that's great. When you let the Dublicans play, it's, it's ugly sometimes, but it can be pretty fun to watch too. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll go to go from the Billikens to the team they play in their A-10 opener, Duquesne. We've only seen them twice. They've been stuck on uh, they've been stuck with COVID issues twice in the month of December already. And what I'm going to give them is some roommate reassignments. They picked up a transfer in Ryan Murphy, who left Pitt last year to pursue international opportunities, couldn't get a job because of COVID but never declared for the draft or signed with an agent. So he still had his NCAA eligibility. He's eligible now for Duquesne. He's just enrolled in grad school and he's going to really help their need for a secondary shooter. But if Duquesne ends up with a shutdown again, I think him and Tavian Dunmartin need to spend some quality time together because there's a lot of overlap between those two as players. And while it's wonderful to have one of those crazy aggressive shooters coming off your bench two of them together could be a real problem I think that the Murphy addition is going to be great for Duquesne as long as him and Dunmartin don't spend the whole season just stepping on each other's feet those two they really need to figure out how their games can kind of come together because if they're clashing then this is going to be a big problem and at that point Murphy will probably help hurt them more than he helps them yeah that that is an interesting addition that I think kind of fell on under the radar just because we are both high on them going into the season hopefully they get back on the court soon without any issues because they could be a good team but we've only seen them play two games and unfortunately one of those they did lose but I think uh, with that I'm going to move on to another team that's had some COVID problems St. Bonaventure who they've also only gotten to play two games uh, their next upcoming game against Buffalo also canceled because the Bulls had a positive test in their program. You mean SUNY Amherst? That's correct. Yeah, I'm sorry to the, to the SBN World and Friends podcast. My apologies, but hope you, hopefully you guys like this gift I'm about to give the Bonnies. Um, and by the way, go listen to their last podcast. It's pretty hilarious. But anyway, with St. Bonaventure having multiple opponents cancel games in pretty short notice, too. Like, I think their opener against St. Francis was canceled two hours before tip-off or something. I couldn't think, I couldn't help but think of the SpongeBob episode where he was scaring everyone away because of his stinky breath and no one would get near him. So I feel like the Bonnies just need some toothpaste and mouthwash because right now no one, the Bonnies are ugly and they're proud right now. No one wants to play them. They're all canceling their games. And I just hate to see that happen again because when you got one of the most positive and um, one of the most passionate fan bases in the conference, that's brutal that they've only gotten to see their team play twice. So that, that's what I'm hoping for for St. Bonaventure. Get them some, some mouthwash, uh, no bad breath to scare anyone off, and hopefully they get to play a full conference season. I'm just bummed out. I own so much Bonnie stock. Can my gift be that the Bonnies will actually start playing people? Yeah, I hope so. They're a fun team, and they've been playing pretty well, too. They're 2-0, and but, yeah, I'm going to miss out on that SUNY Amherst game. But hopefully not the UMass Amherst game. Hopefully not. So I'll move on to my next one, the Dayton Flyers. And my gift to them, because, you know, I, I – the real gift, I don't think the NCAA would approve because they're never flexible with their decision-making process. So we'll get the next closest thing. I want the Flyers to receive a framed letter to be hung in UD Arena from Archie Miller apologizing for burning a year of Trey Landers' eligibility as a freshman. We were there. We watched Trey Landers' freshman season, and I got to say – we thought he was terrible. He was just not re- he was not ready for big time college basketball yet. He was very unpolished. He was missing dunks. And then he came back after that next summer and, and was a great contributor. We saw what he grew into his senior year and you know, after seeing him in TBT last season, I have every reason to believe that he would have been even better this year. 
he would fit so perfectly on what this team needs. I, I just imagine him in the RJ Blakeney spot when they go small, that five man lineup would be just brutalizing people. And it, it honestly, it really hurts because he should have developed his freshman year. He barely played any minutes. And I think Archie owes all of Flyer Nation an apology. Man, I just can't help but think about how much he would help fix Dayton's rebounding problem because they, they've been getting killed on the glass. I mean, Ole Miss and Mississippi State were two teams with really good big men. And even though Dayton pulled out those games, they were giving up a lot of offensive rebounds. And gosh, I mean, Trey, like, I know we're, we're biased here, but he'd be one of the best players in the A-10 probably based on how he finished last season and what he did over the summer. And now he's playing professionally too. I wish that Archie messed that one up, but I am happy he, at least he re recruited Trey to Dayton, but man, it would be nice to have him around one more year. Yeah, I, I voted for Trey for all-conference team last year, and I, I fully believe that if he had come back, he, he absolutely would have been again, yeah. even in a different role. Yeah. All right, well, it looks like I think we both should have two teams left. I'll move on to Davidson, who I have been, I've been jumping on and off the bandwagon this entire season, but they just killed Vanderbilt tonight, so I might be getting back on. And this is going to be... I actually have two gifts for them also. And this is another shout out to Espion for Olden Lil Bana X. But they were talking about how Davidson just lights it up on Friday ESPN2 games. And that comes after they destroyed the Bonnies last year by 30 at the Riley Center. And this year they also beat Rhode Island pretty convincingly on the road in their A-10 opener on a Friday night. So that would be one gift just to give Davidson more Friday night games. It seems like they do a lot better on national TV for some reason. The other main gift though, and this might be kind of a lame gift you would think, but Davidson is one of the best academic schools in the conference, so I don't feel that bad. I'm going to give Carter Collins a book on leadership to try to motivate him because I think this team so far, it kind of, they live and die with him. Collins has been so much better this year. He's been a better distributor. He's doing a better job of getting to the rim and finishing inside shots. And he's also still a great three-point shooter. But in Davidson's three losses, he's only scored a combined 16 points. So when he disappears, it's just so much tougher for them to generate offense. I feel like he's kind of the key. You know, Davidson's got some solid players. If Collins steps up too, all of a sudden they're tough to defend. Yeah, I wanted to tweet this out after that game on Friday, but I finished it like deep into the AM and I figured nobody would have cared. So um, would have been a would have been a much better in the moment tweet. I think Carter Collins is their best tough shot maker. I think he's actually better at it than Grady. And you know, this offense does so well with just the free-flowing nature. And for 70% of the game, if their offense is running properly and the ball's pinging around, then they're fine. They get plenty of open shots. They get good open layups. Yeah. The Luka Brekovic baby hook is really kind of coming along nicely. So they got some things they can go to. Grady will drive into traffic, but, you know, I, I don't – I don't believe in this offense at all when it's the final minute of a game and they have to get a bucket to win. I think Carter Collins actually should be the guy. We've seen, we've seen Sam Menenga take the shot this year. We've seen Hyun Jung Lee take the shot. We've seen Kellen Grady do it plenty of times in the past. If it's the final possession of a tie game, I want the ball in Carter Collins' hands. Yeah, I mean, I think he's super important to this team. And honestly, I don't, he doesn't get talked about a ton just since Davidson hasn't been particularly great but he's one of the most improved players in the league and I just think that's just it he he disappeared against Charlotte when they lost and were struggling badly on offense he only had about three or four points against Providence in that game didn't do anything when they fell way behind early but in other games like the Rhode Island game he was great he finished with over 20 points he was clearly their leader and I just think we got to see more of that for Davidson to potentially be that sneaky double by team that I hyped them up to be. Yeah, they might be, but I'll move on to GW. 
And for their gift, I want to give Jamie and Christian the password to Brad Stevens' laptop because there, there are stories of legend of the Celtics coaches folder of just inbound play after inbound play. He supposedly just watches basketball at all levels. And anytime he sees a nice inbounds play, whether it be in the NBA or a EuroLeague game, or even as low down as high school, he will take the clip and save it on his laptop and just pull it out years later in big moments. And he, he truly is the master of the inbound. Now, the reason I say this is we've now seen multiple times GW's had a chance to tie or win the game at the buzzer. They come out of a timeout and they throw up just some of the most horrific possessions we've ever seen. Because once they get the ball in and they start dribbling around, uh, nothing happens. We talked about that in our last episode, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about the reasons for this issue. But for them, I think they need to focus on just getting somebody open, getting a nice catch and shoot right off the inbound. So they, they need the access to these videos and this file folder. Because right now, I'd rather them see Jamison Battle take an open shot off the pass with nine seconds left than for them to try to take a shot at the buzzer. Because we have so much proof that that's a terrible idea. Yeah, so for GW, they're at least 0 for 2 coming up with good inbound plays. And I I don't know. I'm probably forgetting some more from earlier in the season. But on paper, they've got some good three-point shooters. So it seems like they'd be able to come up with something. I don't know. Are you saying we're going to have another St. Louis Cardinals hacking scandal in the A-time? Because GW might need to try something like that. It would be worth it for them. Yeah, they have nothing to lose. <laughs> They're a disaster in crunch time. Yeah, shout out to GW, too. They took an 11-0 lead today against Charlotte. So second game in a row, they, they blow an early double-digit lead. But they still got the mayhem. Maybe they're going to figure it out. I'm not feeling great about that, but... By the way, four of their six losses are already by four points or less. So, yeah, that's true. They're, they're not executing at the end of games. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna saving the best for last, or at least my last one. You have one more too, I think. But uh, LaSalle, who is having a, a pretty fun season. I mean, they're not blowing anyone away, but they've they've won a couple solid games, and I noticed this one most recently. When when I watched, this is the first time I watched them play a home game this year against the University of Delaware. So it was on after the Dayton game. I just didn't change the channel on NBC Network, uh, Sports Network. And w- we make fun of Tom Goldarino a lot on this podcast. I mean, that's kind of just a running joke in A10 Twitter. But I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw the bleachers on one side rolled all the way up, literally like a high school gym. And you could see the practice court right behind, like the scorer's table and the few in the benches and the few people that were in there in the gym. So one of my gifts is also just a, a big curtain. Arena gets enough criticism as it is, and that's just not a good look for the A-10 and the Explorers. But anyway, my other gift, I do have a real one too. Uh, LaSalle gets the 13th most minutes out of their bench in the conference, so I'd just give him some nice cushions. Those guys need to be comfortable so they're ready to go in the game while they're sitting and waiting for their chance. Yeah, I I also uh, ventured over to LaSalle, Delaware after the Dayton Ole Miss game. And I was watching with my dad, who's been watching A-10 games for even longer than the two of us have. And he literally asked me if that was LaSalle's normal gym. Because, he did, because just seeing it empty and seeing – the pan away he thought that they were just like borrowing somebody else's high school gym yeah it's it's amazing here i'll give him a third gift too we'll give him some like pool noodles and toys to play in the swimming pool because most people know by now that there is a swimming pool on the floor below their basketball gym it's like a big sports complex building so i'm sure there's got to be some pool parties after big wins (laughs) in the a-10 so i'll throw that in too that some stocking stuffers all right, so the final one, the preseason favorite, the Richmond Spiders, who are – we are recording this on Tuesday night, so we're, we are a few hours removed from the just horrific 
horrific home loss at the hands of Hofstra, who, you know, I mean, they're a good team, but Richmond's got to take care of a squad like that when they're at home for how vaunted they are. And so for me, I would have the spiders in the spirit of Christmas be visited by three ghosts, the ghosts of three point shooting. First, Mickey McConnell, the former St. Mary's point guard who once dropped five threes on the spiders in an NCAA tournament game. He will come back to remind them how good their three point defense was at the end of last year. They ended up finishing the season, giving up just 30 and a half percent from three. And, you know, I credit that as one of the two big reasons why their defensive numbers looked so good last year, that and Jacob Gilliard's crazy Gary Payton hands. So they need him to remind him just how important that defense was and how much they really need to focus on it. The ghost of three pointers present, a guy who, you know, unless you watched them last Friday night, you probably don't even know the name. Braden Norris, a skinny little six-foot dude for Loyola, Chicago, who just caught absolute fire from deep in the game against Richmond last week. He was really the reason that Loyola was able to make a comeback. They, they ended up not being able to finish it. They lost by two. But Norris goes five for nine from deep. He was really the reason as to why they got back in that game. And it started to show an alarming trend that Noah Goldberg pointed out on Twitter after they lost to Hofstra, that they gave up double the amount of three-pointers made in the second half against both Hofstra and Loyola Chicago than they did in the first halves of those games. Add in the fact that they got torched from three by West Virginia in the first half. And really most of their non-con struggles can be brought to the fact that they have not defended the three-pointer well during various stretches of games. And then the final ghost, the ghost of three-pointers future, Bones Highland. He went five for six last year when VCU crushed Richmond in the Siegel Center. And, you know, he can just serve as a reminder that if they continue to not defend the three-point line, then that all of a sudden quickly becomes a very, very below-average defense. And, you know, if they're just going to keep, if they're going to keep struggling like this, like I chalked the Norris thing up to just an aberration, but now after this Hofstra game, I think this is a real concern and they need to be reminded that if they don't fix this issue, then they're, they're NIT bound. Yeah. Pretty disappointing game for Richmond today, but I don't, I don't care who you're playing. If you give up 10 for. to to get a win and I don't know I, I didn't really expect them to have the top defense in the A-10 again as they did last year especially at the end when they started playing really well but it's it's just been a, a problem at times this year like you said against West Virginia it just took them out of the game really early with all the threes they were hitting and then yeah Loyola a game that looked like it was going to be an easy win all of a sudden got real close so I don't know. I mean, I think Richmond's going to be fine, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And man, Bones, if he saw the box score today, he's got to be licking his chops for when we get the, uh, what's it called? The Lumber Liquidators, Capital City Classic, one of the best rivalries in sports. Yep. So that does it. Those are the gifts that we're leaving in the stockings of the 14A10 teams this year. Before we wrap things up though, um, I think we both just kind of wanted to touch on just a a few little random topics here. For me, one thing I want to mention, and you know, I'm, I'm going to drop a quick brag here because this is a man that I've believed in a lot this year. And you know, if, if the role players that I really bet on this year, if they were stock, if they were stocks, then my portfolio would be just about bankrupt. Things are not going well for a lot of these guys. Most of them just haven't played that much, but you know, Jameer Nelson hasn't, I don't think he's touched the ball in game action since like last February. Um, We're on the verge of of a potential mortgage crisis down in TJ weeks, Archipelago. Like it's just not going well for him and his return from injury so far. 
But one guy that I really like who is finally getting his due is Rodney Chapman, who was the star of Dayton's win over Ole Miss on Saturday. He was great on offense, which, you know, we, we see from him three, four times a year. That's not that abnormal. But he was fantastic again on defense. And for the first time I can remember, Dr. John just really could not get enough of Rodney Chapman's defense. And so I, I want to I formally welcome Dr. John to the board of directors of the Chapman Asylum, the place where other teams' superstar guards just get locked down. I've said it before. I'm going to say it 18 more times this season. Rodney Chapman is absolutely an all-defense player in this conference. He does not get enough due for that, and he showed it again in the Ole Miss game. He was just fantastic. You know, their offense is not as good as it was last year. Their defense is almost as good. It's not a committee job anymore. It's because of Rodney Chapman. Yeah, Rodney was great, and I just got to say, you know, on that game, I, I was so excited to have Dr. John on the call. That That is getting the hype for A-10 conference season, getting him on NBC Sports Network again, getting him on stadium, because he loves the A-10. He had some great things to say about Dayton, and overall, that was just a really exciting game. And, you know, Rodney's a guy I, I talked about a little bit in the preseason about his offense where maybe he could start doing more damage as a role player. And we've started to see that now. He's had back-to-back double-digit scoring games against both the Mississippi schools Dayton played. So that would be huge. But yeah, I, I, I missed Dr. John on Sunday night. And I assume that the guys who called the St. Louis-Minnesota game are normal, like, Big Ten FS1 announcers. I don't know if any of like the Penn State or Ohio State fans who listen to this would be able to tell us this for sure, but God, those guys were just ridiculous homers for the national broadcast. And I know people get fired up when it happens on like ESPN Plus. I don't care because those are like team specific announcers. Like those FS1 guys really were just all out rooting for Minnesota. And I'm not the kind of person who gets frustrated with this. I don't think I've been mad about something like this in three or four years, but that was just ridiculous. And halfway through the first half, I was just incredibly annoyed with those guys. Yeah, honestly, I had the game on mute, not really. I was I had a football game on in the background, so I wasn't paying super close attention for most of the first half. But I agree. When I had it, the broadcast on in the second half, those guys weren't great, but a comment I do want to make about some broadcasts, which it, it's funny, but I'm also tired of it. And I've been tweeting about this a bunch the last couple of weeks, but I'm just tired of national broadcasters or even local broadcasters just hyping up the A-10 any chance they get. Like, I get it. That's what this entire podcast is. But the one that took the cake for me was the NBC Sports uh, LaSalle versus Delaware game where this guy's just talking about how great the A-10 is. And he made the comment, Oh, Duquesne could, or they're surprising some people this year. The Dukes are one and one. Like, uh, we both thought they'd be good this year, but they haven't surprised anyone. They've barely gotten to play. And then in another game, they were hyping up Davidson for beating UNLV. Like, are we kidding? UNLV's not even good. Since we basically just popped the trunk on this part of the pod, I'm just going to jump into that. So for the national announcers, I think we have a list of things that I just never want to hear from them again. Comparing Kellen Grady to Steph Curry, talking about how much it sucks that Dayton didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament last year. We get it. It's not relevant to the broadcast. And by the way, it just bums us out. Like, can you not talk about this when Dayton's up six against a good team? Cause it's just, it's just a bummer. Um, just, telling us over and over again that the A-10 is underrated and doesn't get enough respect. I'm trying to think of the other ones. There's like six of these. Because, by the way, no one is finding their way to a Delaware LaSalle game on NBCSN unless they already know things about that game. They're either a LaSalle fan, a Delaware fan, 
a follower of one of those two conferences, or they gambled on the game and therefore at least did research on it. Like no one is watching these games unless they have at least a baseline knowledge of what's going on. Right. I'll give you another one too. Uh, fun drinking game idea. If you just take a drink every time they say Princeton offense, when Richmond's playing, I mean, against West Virginia, like that ESPN game, you know, every single possession, they're bringing it up. Like we get it. Richmond runs a lot of back cuts, but find some other stuff to talk about eventually. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is, and you know, we, I don't know if we've had this conversation on the pod before. We've certainly had it together off, off uh, microphone, but this is my beef with national announcing teams. This is why I love Dr. John and Matt Martucci so much because those guys, we know that those guys do the work and that they understand these teams. And that's why we get comments from them that are just a lot more insightful and they're not the canned things. You know, the, the normal Friday night guys on ESPN are pretty good with that too. Um, John Feinstein, he did the VCU game earlier today. He always knows what he's talking about. And so I, you just really grow to appreciate these people that you know have done the research because they're not just spewing out just like canned lines. And like, I, I don't want a guy who was calling a bunch of big 12 games all week coming in on an A-10 game. I want guys who are calling like A10 and maybe CAA games too. Yeah, I wish. I mean, I guess in the A10, like when we get on national TV, beggars can't be choosers. But I just, whenever they hype up the A10, like, you know, I get it. You're not going to come on the air and say bad things about the conference that is playing or the teams that are playing, like, because then the fans are just going to get pissed. And I understand that. But sometimes they just take it a little bit too far. And, like, it sounds like I'm being down on the A-10, which I still think, despite the disastrous last couple days, it is a good conference this year. It's just when I hear him talk about, like, a five-bit league, that, that rubs me the wrong way. Just give us Matt Martucci. We know the dude's working. He's calling, like, UFC fights. Like, can we just have him on A-10 games? We'll, <laughs> we'll appreciate him. Yeah. Well, at least it is almost that time of year where we start getting Joe Lenardi cut into the game where he gets to update us on the A-10 bracketology. So that'll be exciting. And speaking of big names in the broadcasting business affiliated with the A-10, I love that the official A-10 Twitter account has gotten hashtag Mighty A-10 trending the last couple of weeks during some of our big games. Shout out to Woj. That's been awesome the last few weeks. Yeah, he, he, I, I almost forgot about that. Uh, we will keep riding with the hashtag power eight because we enjoy that more. Yeah, we got to make that and official. I think, I think we've just taken that on as our own brand. And, uh, you know, I think months from now, people are going to think that we came up with that. And, you know, I'm happy to take credit, even though it wasn't us. All right. Well, I think the last thing we wanted to do, so Ken Palm, Came wait, out wait, wait, sorry. We have to cut in for live breaking news here. Oh, what um, happened? He, because the Dayton basketball account will definitely tweet it out, even though Dayton fans have mixed feelings about him and his time there. Costas Antetokounmpo, as we are recording this, has just put his NBA championship ring onto his finger. <laughs> so congratulations to him. Congratulations. Congratulations, Costas, the most recent A-10 NBA champion. That is, that is worthwhile breaking news. Thanks for that, Tyler. <laughs> Got to turn that on. I hope he plays. Is he on the active roster for yeah. the Lakers? He's, he's back on a two-way deal again. Wow, all right. Might actually see him play. That's funny. <laughs> all right, are you ready for the, the Ken Palm all-conference team? Yeah, do you want me to try to guess this? Because you have not told me this. No, I haven't. So yeah, I wanted Ken to Palm, wait and talk about. I wanted to react to this live. Right. So Ken Palm came up with their own Power Eight hot take for this podcast, and usually, I, I guess it is already late December, but usually it seems like everybody has ten or fifteen games under their belt before they put this out. But Ken Palm's got his current all A ten 
first team, only five players, not this six crap that we deal with on the real ball conference teams. So I'm not sure how they come up with this, but Tyler, I'll let you try to guess the five names that are currently on Ken Palm's all-conference list. So I, I think the first three that come to mind to this point, Highland, Perkins, and Golden. Uh, you got two for three. Do you want me to tell you which one's not on the list? Yes. No Javante Perkins, which I'm kind of surprised on. Wow. I, I wonder if that might be a uh, – I wonder if his defensive numbers just aren't that good. But Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like Ken Palm doesn't factor in individual player defense as much as other models but you know i just read these stats i don't understand them anyways yeah no perkins but you did get golden and highland and they are actually the fourth and fifth ranked players too so there's three guys higher on the list right now so uh two of the next two that would come to my mind if i was guessing five um i know jacob gilliard tends to be a ken palm darling and then even though even though jordan goodwin's been fantastic and he should be on there I'm going to say Yuri Collins instead because he's had the kind of crazy efficient season that Ken Palm would adore. So neither of those guys are on it. Although I will say you should have gone with the, the first St. Louis guy you mentioned. So Jordan Goodwin's actually at the top of the list right now. Good, He should be. Yeah, he, he's been playing well. I think they got that one right. Getting him on the list, but no Yuri Collins, no Jacob Gilliard. Um, I guess I can give you a little bit of a hint, too, for the last two. That, so all five players on this list come from different teams. So you won't see anyone else from St. Louis, Richmond, or VCU. So 30 seconds before we go to that, I tweeted about it the other day, and I'm going to keep being – I'm going to tr- stay subdued about this for now until we get a little bit more volume on it. But I think Goodwin got rid of the hitch in his three. He's starting to shoot the ball really well. And – I'm about a week away from becoming convinced that he's going to make the All-American team this year. Never know. He is because shooting if he's at, if, if this is real, and I think it is, if this is real, he's making an All-American team, and he's getting drafted in the second round of the NBA draft. Yeah, he, he does look better. And that's, I mean, just overall, St. Louis is shooting better. Not Hassan French, though, who – was wide left on a free throw in the second half against Minnesota. Almost missed the backboard, I think. But, yeah, good one looks better. So, I'll, I'll just take two more guesses here. All right, ready to guess the last two names? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to make everyone just forced to be dragged out through our stupid little game here. So, I'll give two more guesses, and then if I get these wrong, I'll have you tell me. Um, I'm going to say Jalen Crutcher. And then, you know, I'm going to – I guess Mitchell because he was so fantastic in two of those games, even though he's kind of just average in the other two. So you got Croucher right, which honestly I didn't really expect to see him on here just because he had a quiet start to the year. But he does have back-to-back 23-point games, so I guess that is understandable. Jaylen no Trey Mitchell. Awesome. Jalen Croucher has been awesome this year. Everyone's expectations were just so ridiculously – and possibly not reachably high for him this year. Oh, I agree. He's, with been, that, he's still yeah. been really good. He has. No, he, he's just been honestly scoring some more points. And uh, he's also. He's only been on the bench for about 12 possible minutes, and he played 50 minutes in the double overtime game. So with that many minutes, he'll get a chance to put up some numbers. But anyway, no Trey Mitchell, which was a little surprising to me. Uh, last name, Oshun Oshuni for St. Bonaventure having a real nice start. Although he's only played two games. So I, I just know. didn't think, I just didn't think they put him on there with two games in, but yeah, I, I, for a brief moment after the Akron game, I started to wonder if I was wrong by assuming that Lofton would be the one to carry them to the promised land. If yeah. a, a shoot, we talked about this on the last pod, but I mean, a averaging 10 points a game last year was just so stupidly low. I'd, he should be at 15 or 16 this year, the way he started the season. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I mean, he's only played two games, so it's kind of hard to compare him to the other guys, but he is looking really good so far. He's taking a lot more shots. 
I missed this. Apparently against Akron, he popped a three, which was the first attempt of his career. So I don't know if he's going to keep doing that, but good to see him start to contribute some more on offense. And honestly, with his defense too, it, it wouldn't be that surprising to see him end up on the first or second team at the end of the year. I I still have a hard time seeing him getting to first, but the way he's playing so far, if, if I had to repick my all-conference teams right now, I'd have him on the second. I think I had him on third preseason, so. Yeah. All right, well, as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to tweet out these picks by Ken Palm, get some people mad online at the end of the night because, you know, you know, people are going to be mad about no Trey Mitchell, no Javante Perkins, and – that's going to be kind of fun to watch. So I'm going to tweet that out and just sit back and relax. Yeah. Um, West Pine Bills will get super riled up. So that'll be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely like to tweet about Javante. All right. Anything else on this this Christmas edition of the podcast? No, I think, I think we're going to wrap things up here. Um, this is, I guess, with conference season starting on December 30th, normally this is our final episode of the year, but, you know, I think we're probably going to have to fire something out to begin conference play. So either right at the end of 2020, the beginning of 2021, we will be back. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoys their holidays. As always, if you enjoyed the show, just give us some feedback. feedback. We always, always appreciate it, whether it's something you think we're doing well that you want to hear us keep doing or something that you think can be better. I mean, people are listening to a lot of podcasts now. It's a lot of great ones just in this conference alone. So if anybody has some tips, we always love to hear the feedback. Give us five stars on iTunes. If you don't have tips and you just love what you're hearing and you know, everybody stay safe out there and enjoy your holiday.